0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled, Prognostic Tools in the Management of ADPKD, is jointly provided by Novus Medical Education and Medical Education Resources. This activity is supported by independent educational grants from Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives.
1: Hello and welcome to this webcast titled Prognostic Tools in the Management of ADPKD. My name is Mian Park and I'm Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco and Director of the PKD Center of Excellence. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Anjay Rastogi. Dr. Rastogi, please introduce yourself.
0: Thank you, Dr. Park. Uh, As Dr. Park mentioned, my name is Anjay Rastogi. I'm a nephrologist uh, at UCLA, Professor of Medicine and also the director of the UCLA core kidney program that includes the PKD program. And it's a real pleasure to be here, Dr. Park. Same here.
1: Before we get started, let's review our learning objectives. Upon conclusion of this educational activity, participants should be able to recognize tools and resources, including imaging studies, and the Mayo Clinic classification system to assess risk of disease progression. Describe the relationship between total kidney volume estimated GFR, and age for detecting rapid progressors, and consider other factors that contribute to disease severity or risk of disease progression in ADPKD.
0: So with that, Dr. Park, um, I'll be going over the total kidney volume and other factors that help predicting progression of kidney disease in ADPKD. So let's start with the diagnosis. When we look at ADPKD, it has very close ties with radiology. imaging and one of the key tools used to diagnose adpkd is an imaging test it could be an ultrasound it could be a ct scan it could be an mri but ultrasound is the one that's most frequently used and based on your age and number of cysts if you have a positive family history of adpkd the diagnosis can be made now in case there is no family history of adpkd or if the imaging test is inconclusive, in that case, we actually go to genetic testing. Now, in the past, gene testing was was unaffordable, inaccessible, but we have made significant progress, I would say, over the last 10 years. And and it's it now is actually uh, much more accessible, and we do it quite frequently at UCLA. Dr. Park, how about you, uh, gene testing at, at UCSF?
1: There's definitely situations where we use genetic testing. Most of the time, we'll start with other modalities for diagnosing and working up patients and considering their risk, but occasionally genetic testing can be very helpful.
0: Great. Now, imaging, like I said, the ties between between radiology and ADPKD are very strong for, for diagnostic. The question is, is it more than just diagnostic? Can we use imaging prognostic purposes, and we'll be going over that in a lot more detail today. Now, just going over the pathogenesis of of ADPKD. ADPKD, as the name implies, is autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, and it's caused by mutations in in, in two of the genes. One is on chromosome 16, one is on chromosome 4, type 1 and type 2. But what's interesting is only 10 percent of the nephrons are actually affected, even though it's a genetic disease. Ninety percent of the other nephrons, quote unquote, don't have the mutation. The cysts grow over time. Uh, there's there's both both fluid secretion as as well as cellular proliferation that contributes to the cyst growth. And over time, these cysts, which are bilaterally symmetrical, uh, diffuse. They will they destroy the tissue architecture, and that leads to kidney dysfunction. But as you can see in this slide, the and I, and I mentioned that ninety percent of the nephrons are quote unquote normal, and they tend to hyperfilter for the ten percent defective nephrons. So initially, the kidney function as measured by GFR is maintained quote unquote within the normal range, till we hit the cliff, and and then the GFR starts going down. But in this time when the GFR is being maintained normal by hyperfiltering uh, nephrons, the kidneys tend to still grow. So in this early stage, the kidney size is a, is a better predictor of these prog- disease progression than, than uh, simple uh, uh, blood test with GFR. Now there's a lot of, lot of variability, even though they, the, you might have the mutation, you have the diagnosis of ADPKD, there is variability in disease progression and within sometimes within the same family. And and the question uh, comes out, can we predict which patients are going to be progressing more rapidly than others? And why is that important? Well, it's important for the patient where they want to know, first of all, what is their prognosis. They also want to plan their life. They want to plan their family. But in, in a more treatment portion, they might be eligible from treatments that are applicable for patients who are rapid progressors, like Dolvaptin. And last but not the least, we should not forget about clinical trials, the enriched population. We want to look at these these patients who tend to be rapid progressors and they enroll in these studies. So in this next slide, we'll be looking at some of the factors that actually can predict which patients are rapid progressors versus others which might not progress that rapidly. So these are the five big buckets. The one right at the top is the clinical predictors and this includes hypertension, urological issues, including gross hematuria and early decrease in GFR. Then we also have laboratory predictors, and that includes proteinuria, microalbuminuria, and elevated Copeptin. Genetic predictors; it is a genetic disease, and and if, if depending upon when we get type one versus type two, and even in in the mutation whether it's truncating or a non-truncating mutations, these things can can affect the prognosis um, of. Uh, of the patient. Then we have imaging predictors, which we'll be going over in a lot more detail. And, and a term that, that, that we'll be using quite frequently throughout the rest of the presentation is TKV, which stands for total kidney volume. And then finally, on, on the left-hand side, we have the environmental factors that include your diet and, and your lifestyle. And, and don't forget smoking. Now, let's, let's go over, over TKV, total kidney volume. That, that's a term that, that we as nephrologists, especially um, nephrologists who focus on ADPKD, use quite frequently. When I was a fellow, we would, would look at the longest dimension of the kidney, 10 centimeters, 12 centimeters, 18 centimeters. But now we know that doesn't give the full picture. What gives the full picture is the three-dimensional, the TKV, so the length, the width, the depth. And that is actually included when we calculate TKV based on the imaging study. And studies have shown TKV, especially in the early stages, like I mentioned, when GFR is maintained by the hyperfiltering normal nephrons, TKV is a much better predictor of of progression of disease. MRI and CT scans are are the, the better modalities to um, to do the imaging, but if those are not available for whatever reason, we can also do ultrasounds. Now let's do a a, a bit more deeper dive into, into into imaging, and and the one that we use quite frequently is came from Mayo Clinic. It's called the Mayo Clinic imaging uh, classification for ADPKD, and it's it's relatively simple tool. Uh, all that you need. To have is the TKV, which which we'll be going over. You need the height, so it's height adjusted, and the H, and you plot uh, these numbers on on this 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 um, um, table, and you will get five prognostic classes: class 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. 1A is the is is the slowest progressing. Uh, 1B is is uh, mid or moderate and 1C, 1D, 1E are what we call the rapid progressors. And this is another way to, to look at it. As you can see on the top, uh, on the Y axis, you have height adjusted TKV uh, in mils per meter. And on the on the X axis, you have the patient's uh, age and years, and you can go over and you plot these numbers, you have 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E, and they represent the rate of growth. And, and to give some idea, 1A would be 1.5% or below, and then it goes to 1.5 to 3, 3 to 4.5, 4.5 to, to 6, and 1E, which is the, the most uh, rapid progressors, is above 6% growth per year. And and for theoretical purposes, the, the height uh, adjusted TKV of 150 mils uh, per meter is, is considered the baseline. On the bottom side, uh, on the graph, you can see the EGFR prediction, and when will these patients predict based on this, this, this model will end up with ESKD. And, and once again, as you can see, the class 1A is is the um, least progressive, and 1E is the most rapid progressive of these five prognostic classes. There's another tool that is used. Uh, we don't use it that often, um, at least in our practice, but. But it is, it's called pro-PKD. And the variables that, that we use for this scoring system is number one is gender, uh, male versus female. F- males have worse prognosis, so they get one point. Um, if you're hypertensive before the age of 35, if you are, you get two points. If you're not, then you, once again you get zero point. Um, if you have a urological event before the age 35, which could include uh, hematuria. Uh, you get two points if you don't have you get zero and then find the mutation Um, if you have type 1 mutation versus type 2 and if it's type 1 mutation is it truncating or non-truncating and then they based on the scoring 0 to 3 are low uh, 4 to 6 are, are moderate and 7 to 9 are uh what we call rapid progress so these patients will and and you can look at the the prediction when they would end up with eskd. So, with that, um, Dr. Park, um, if you can discuss your practice at UCSF as well between Mayo Clinic classification and also ProPKD.
1: Sure. Yeah. We generally tend to use Mayo classification as well. We rely heavily on the total kidney volume, as you mentioned. But what I think is interesting and convenient about the ProPKD score, even in the absence of definitive genetic testing results, is that you can use it quickly when evaluating a patient to consider if the patient has had any clinical features that may raise your suspicion for risk of rapid progression. And then on top of that, if you do have access to a genotype, you can add that into the score to improve risk prediction. But what's interesting about the genotype is that actually it turns out to be imaging predominantly that predicts Progression, And as this figure shows, there can be considerable overlap in the Mayo classification as described by classes A through E, as you described, and the genotype. So, of course, we do see that PKD2 mutations tend to be a little bit more um, mild associated with uh, classes A and B um, imaging features. Uh, whereas PKD1 truncating mutations tend to be more severe. But there is a middle zone where there is some overlap in this, and adding genotypic information to the imaging may improve prediction of ESKD endpoints.
0: So now, Dr. Park, you'll be going over a practical approach in some cases?
1: Yes. Let's start with a straightforward common case. So for patient number one, this is a 24-year-old gentleman who has a family history of ADPKD. He already has a diagnosis of hypertension, experienced gross hematuria, and has abdominal fullness that he can sense and that you see on exam. Uh, suppose his EGFR is within a normal range. Where would you start in terms of evaluating this patient and uh, what, would you, what would you do as your first step?
0: Yeah, so um, this is uh, what you call a typical bread and butter case. 24 year old uh, gentleman has a family history of ADPKD. Um, and, you know, we went over the, the pro PKD younger than 35. He already has hypertension. He has hematuria. It looks like his kidneys are pretty big. And even the liver could be big. He has uh, abdominal fullness. But the EGFR is within normal range. And we discussed that as well initially because of the hyperfiltering nephrons, the EGFR, you know, even the kidneys might be big, might be within, and that's a, a bad predictor. You know, it's, 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 and a lot of patients come in and say, well, doctor, you're telling me that I have advanced or I have big kidneys, but my kidney function is normal. So I think these are all important. Um, my, my next test would obviously be an imaging uh, test, uh, preferably an MRI, if we can get that, and getting a TKV that will help us get the Mayo Clinic Classification.
1: So suppose we found that he had a Class 1E categorization on the Mayo imaging classification system. How would you use this to determine the management of the patient?
0: That's a good point. So I you know, based on what I saw in the symptoms and history, I'm not surprised he has Class 1E, which is the most rapid progressors. Um, and if you want to throw in what kind of mutation he might have, right? Um, If we did a gene testing, it probably would be a type 1 mutation. Um, Now, um, this patient will need aggressive management. Um, He, you know, he's 24 years old, and the way he's progressing, he's probably going to end up with ESKD within the next 5 or 10 years. Um, Lifestyle modifications are always important, you know, whether it be diet, um, hydration, um, blood pressure management but also disease-modifying therapy. Uh, 12 is the first and only uh, drug that's approved in the U.S. to slow down progression, and this would be an ideal candidate, in my opinion, for that. So our first case, Dr. Park, was what we call a typical case that that we see in in our clinic. This case number two is, quote-unquote, an atypical case. So let's go over this. This is a patient, a 38-year-old female who presented to the ED with hypertensive emergency. And on further workup, uh, which included some blood work and that showed a normal EGFR. Uh, and she also had some imaging tests done. And those imaging tests were highly suggestive of ADPKD. When she was asked does she have any family history of ADPKD, she denied uh, having that. She was also complaining of some flank pain. and And, and with that piece of information, this patient was then sent to you for further management. So what would we do with this, this, this 38-year-old female? Yes.
1: Yeah, so thank you. I think that this is a very interesting case. This is a woman who's 38, presenting with hypertensive emergency after having been healthy her whole life. Receiving this diagnosis was quite a shock to her since she had not been aware of any family history of kidney disease or kidney cysts in her family. It turned out on further probing that indeed her father did have bilateral kidney cysts that she had not been aware of, and she did have a family history of polycystic kidney disease, which is not an uncommon situation that we see in patients coming to clinic that it's possible that without a known family history, they actually may discover a family history with more investigation and discussion with family members. That said, even without a family history, she met criteria for autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease based on her initial ultrasound from the emergency department. And in order to better characterize her disease, we ordered an MRI to calculate a total kidney volume. This revealed class 1C disease, which is an intermediate- risk category, but does carry risk of rapid progression. Because of her initial concern about ambiguity of her diagnosis, since this was such a shock to her and she had not been aware of her father's cysts on the kidneys, she did desire genetic testing, which we offered as well. And this resulted in finding a PKD2 mutation uh, that was consistent with Uh, autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease diagnosis. With this information, I think that it is a little bit of a subtle discussion as to what are the optimal tools for managing her based on the genetic testing and the Class 1C imaging characteristics She does not clearly fall into as clear-cut of a a, a category as our first case where it was a slam dunk that one would need to be as aggressive as possible to manage uh, that patient. Of course, in her case, we have to optimize her hypertensive management, and I think that we could consider disease-modifying therapy with Tolvaptan, even in this setting, based on the fact that we discussed before that there's overlap in imaging and genotype classes, and that even with a PKD2 mutation with 1C disease, that would indicate that there could possibly be benefit to slowing down the growth of cysts. A recent study from Japan did show that regardless of genotype, there was an effect that was favorable measured on total kidney volume, regardless of uh, genotype and kidney function that was obtained from tolvaptan use. So I think that it's a little bit more of a gray zone in terms of what one might do in this case.
0: No, I, I I would agree completely with you, Dr. Park. And talking about the variability, the a lot of factors, and genetics is one of them. Um, I think that always has to be kept in mind. At the end, it's a size that really, you know, the Mayo Clinic uh, class. And 1C does qualify as the rapid progressors: 1C, 1D, 1E. So I would agree with you completely. Lifestyle modifications, all the supportive treatment, blood pressure management, and disease-modifying therapy. Yeah, so that, that would probably be. Really way to go in her case. Also, I think you mentioned, uh, which I just want to point out about about um, patients who don't have a family history. Some of them actually do, they just don't know it. But there might be some patients, that it's a de novo mutation they don't have. And that's where the gene testing, even though the imaging tests could be suggestive um, of ADPKD, a lot of these patients would benefit from the gene testing as well.
1: Yes. And I yeah. think that it's important to point out that Genetic testing is also not foolproof, and sometimes we see that right. in ten to fifteen percent of cases, there's yeah. no mutation detected. Yes. That said, I do find it to be quite useful. Right. In this particular instance, she yes. did feel more settled with her diagnosis, right. having had this conclusive evidence of oh. a known pathogenic that's mutation.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that's an important point too, because there are patients that that behave as ADPKD clinically, but might not have the mutations that we test for. So that, that's a, and PKD1 is a, is a difficult gene to, to look at.
1: As yeah. we know, absolutely. Yeah. So, we, so we definitely counsel patients before yes. the genetic testing. Yeah. So let's sum up what we right. discussed today. Yeah. TKV is an important biomarker for assessing disease progression, and MRI and CT are both used to measure total kidney volume.
0: And the Mayo Clinic Imaging Classification is an important tool to predict risk of rapid progression in ADPKD. Patients, and there are five classes uh, prognostic in, in this uh, classification. And patients who fall under classes 1C, 1D, and 1E are rapid progressors and should be considered for therapy with tolvaptan. One of the other tools that is not used as frequently uh, is the pro-PKD score and genetic testing as well and these are complementary methods for assessing disease severity. Also keep in mind that there are other factors too that will predict rapid progression, as we discussed.
1: And definitely the total kidney volume should be used in tandem with the GFR to monitor renal function in patients with ADPKD, since as we discussed, GFR can be preserved or within the normal range for a long period of time in early stages of disease. Yet- Patients may still have high risk of disease progression.
0: And last but not the least, we we spoke about the imaging test, the TKV, we spoke about the gene. But there are other factors, too, that that should be kept in mind. Uh, Male gender, uh, they they tend to be more rapid progressors. Early hypertension, early urological uh, uh, complications, all these things can, can help predict which patients are more likely to progress more rapidly. So with that, um, I think I want to thank you, Dr. Park. This was this, I hope the audience found this useful. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for your time and attention today.
0: You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Novus Medical Education and Medical Education Resources and is supported by an independent educational grant from Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit, or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.